Welcome to the next episode of the Republic of Football, driven by the helpful North Texas Honda dealers. It's their job to be helpful, and it's our job to make a great podcast. Uh, go ahead and subscribe to the show if you haven't already. Give us a rating, a review. It only helps us stronger, includes, uh, uh, makes the product better, and uh, helps you out, helps us out. Everybody wins. We've got a great show today. Baylor coach Matt Rule will be joining us later. But right now, my guest co-host, Mr. Sam Khan, covers college football for ESPN.com. Used to cover Houston for the Houston Chronicle. Sam, you've been around the state. Uh, what, how would you describe your 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 current beat? What what you're you're kind of you're kind of everywhere all at once. <laughs> yeah, I kind of mostly consider it state of Texas and or surrounding areas depending on what they they need from me but but primarily i stay within the state's borders uh you know texas texas a&m tech tcu houston you know the the baylor you know the, that that's pretty much if if i can get there in four to five hours on a drive i'm probably gonna be around you know lsu i'll pop in maybe from time to time since since there uh i live down in houston it's about four and a half hours or so uh, east of me, so so just uh, you know bouncing around a little bit here and there, and got to do some basketball this year too, which was fun. So hadn't done that in a while, but that you got to do a lot of hoops this year, so uh, that was fun as well. That's always nice. The uh, we're still looking for some 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 entrance music for listeners. Me personally, I I would like to be preceded by Return of the Mac anytime I enter a room. The '90s classic. If we if we could give Mark Morrison a high five, he'd probably sign it over for that. I assume. Uh, Sam, any entrance men music you, you see as a, a personal anthem? We're, we're, we're always taking ideas. Well, I'm from Texas, and, and I'm from <laughs> Houston. So, uh, you know, Fat Pat, Tops Drop is always one that will get things kind of charged up. Are we about know, to get a Paul on. Wall endorsement? <laughs> you know, Paul, Paul Wall is, is one of my favorites. But, I, you know, if I'm really wanting to get hype, I, I think of either Bun B or, like, you know, like I said, you know, Draped Up. You know that was that was a great one. That that one makes me really want to get excited. And then, uh, like I said, Top Shot Fat Pat's a good one. There's a lot of good stuff to choose from down here in uh, in H Town. So well, one day it is it is a dream for the Republic of Football. We it just you know priority list theme music is it's on it, but it's it's not very high. Uh, we'll get into today's show, the NFL Draft this weekend. We got to start with. Uh, ex-Texan, future Cleveland resident, Baker Mayfield. I feel bad for Baker. I was on board with Baker as a player. I mean, I still think he's a great player, but I am of the mind that uh, just the organizational chaos, the culture of Cleveland, it ruins players. I I was of the mind that it doesn't matter who they take. I personally think they're going to ruin them. Um, I don't think one player can resuscitate a franchise uh, I just think there's so many moving parts, and I just think uh, it's a tough spot. They've ruined so many great players, and especially at quarterbacks, when you need so much else around you to cooperate to really be good, you can survive if you're a Miles Garrett, if you're a pass rusher there, and you just do your thing, and you take care of business. But uh, Sam, what did you make of, of of Baker going to Cleveland? Are you uh, are you scared for his future? As scared as I am, at least. <laughs> you know, I, I, here's the thing. I, I think they, it behooves them, as, as it would any team, to, to make it as feasible as possible for him to succeed. And when I say that, I mean, you know, tailor this offense to his strengths. But, I, yeah, I will tell you this. I was surprised that he went first, uh, you know, not because of anything about his ability, but just in terms of measurables. You know, when you think first pick in the overall draft, you don't think, you know, a six foot tall quarterback. And so, you know, I, I would have expected them to go either Darnold or, or Rosen or, you know, somewhere along those lines in the quarterback. But I mean, you and I'm sure you're in agreement with me. I mean, I love Baker as a player. I mean, you, you watch that guy and you see the determination he plays with. You see the way he was able to throw it around, the, the way he's able to create on the edge. I mean, it's hard to bet against him, but on the flip side, I think of that jersey that Browns fans wear that has like 20 quarterbacks names crossed off the list from the last 15, you know, 18 years that they have failed at in the draft. So, yeah, I think the I think your concern is well warranted that 
it's it's probably less likely to work out than it is likely to work out on the simple fact that they just haven't been able to figure it out. That said, they have stockpiled some talent over the last few years. They have done a, what I thought is a pretty solid job. Uh, and I thought they did a solid job in this draft. You know, the question is, is, is this enough to take them over the top? I think one of the things you have to consider, too, is the fact that they acquired Tyrod Taylor in the offseason. Does that mean that he's not going to play on day one? It's possible. And, and if he's yeah. not, if he doesn't have to play on day one, then I think it helps him so much more. You're probably right. I, I just think, you know, that jersey, I've just long believed that it's not bad luck. I think it's more an indictment of the franchise than any of those names on that jersey, any of the guys that have come through there that we've seen in college be great and go there at quarterback and really struggle. Um you got to have a lot to put it together. But uh, on a personal note, also, uh, if you've read our coverage at TexasFootball.com, Marcus Davenport went number 14 in New Orleans. A lot of people didn't realize, because he's lived in San Antonio for most of for, for all of his life, that his dad and his, his family are, are from New Orleans. He was a huge Saints fan. When I was down there in San Antonio talking to him and getting to know his family, you know, he basically said if his dad was like, if he could pick, you know, one place for, for Marcus to play, it would be, you know, in New Orleans. The Cowboys were probably number two on that list. But his dad was thrilled. Davenport talking afterwards said his, his dad screamed when he found out the news. Uh, you know, his mom called me on Saturday. I talked to her for a little bit. And, and the family is thrilled. I'm happy for them. I think Marcus might be a little bit of a project. He's got a lot to learn at the next level. But uh, that was that was very cool to see. Uh, I wanted to hit uh, one of the – most curious things of the weekend. I will get to um, my perspective on this, but the undrafted list is always interesting. Uh, people made a big deal when Puna Ford was not invited to the draft or to the combine. He did not get drafted. What did you make of that, uh, Sam? A, a Big Twelve Defensive Lineman of the Year got obviously made a lot of impact for the Longhorns. Does not hear his name called. Uh, what, what's your take on that? I think it just comes down to measurables. You know, I mean, he doesn't look like prototype. I mean, your performance, you got to love, obviously. I mean, the guy got it done, and, and, I mean, we know what kind of player he is. But, you know, a lot of times it comes down to, you know, <laughs> what you look like when, when you stand up. And if you measure out at 5'11", you know, it's not a prototype for that position. A lot of it does come down just to measurables. Mm -hmm. And so for, for Puna, I think that just the height is probably the biggest thing. And we say that after watching Cleveland draft Baker Mayfield. But, you know, I think it's it still is probably the overriding factor for a lot of scouts is where you test and how you look, you know. And, and you know, the, that's the whole reason the combine is such a big deal. Yeah. But, I mean, the guy can play. There's no question about it. Yeah, I'll be interested to see how it plays out. You know, I, I was uh, in Austin a few weeks back. And, you know, toward the end of it, I, I kind of offhandedly just asked uh, – Tom Hermione, what do you think about this? He doesn't get invited to the Combine. Uh, at the time, I think people thought he was probably had a chance to get drafted, but it, it was still weird. But, you know, he said, you know, has a player that decorated ever not even been invited to the Combine? It, it was weird. And he was like, and I don't even know who to be mad at. You know, do I do I send, Rod, you know, do I send, uh, 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 you know, Roger Goodell an, an angry letter? Like, I don't even know. He's like, you know, Tom Herman was like, I've been coaching for quite a while, and I still don't even really know who sends out the invitations to the Combine. And it's a fair question, but I think, you know, obviously you mentioned the size. I get it, sure. But, I mean, he's powerful. And, you know, I was in Mobile for the Senior Bowl for, uh, you know, three and a half days or so. And he just was – I wouldn't say that he was dominant there, but he was clearly one of the best defensive linemen. And I think that's where the NFL overthinks some of these things that – you know, I think on the one hand, it's interesting, like you mentioned, that, that Baker Mayfield going number one, I think certainly suggests that the NFL is sort of realizing that maybe a, a rigid way of thinking, there's other ways to, to go about this. But in the same breath, you've got a guy that, yeah, he is 5'11", but he can still push people around. And uh, he did a lot of that in college. I personally still think Puna will be a guy that, that finds his way onto a roster and, and has – a NFL career that exists, um, even though he wasn't drafted. Uh, but we'll see. You know, I, I, uh, it's, I just think undrafted is crazy. I get that people aren't really high on him, but it's crazy to me that you wouldn't want to take a flyer. I mean, you look down the list of the guys in the seventh round that are getting drafted, and the fact that you wouldn't think that Puna Ford would be more of a flyer to me is is just crazy. But we will, we'll see how that plays out. Also crazy, thirty-seven of a hundred and six 
underclassman who declared early went undrafted. Uh, that includes uh, Holton Hill, the Texas uh, cornerback, Chris Warren, uh, Kyle Allen, guy who played at A&M in Houston. A lot of guys leave for a lot of different reasons. It's not always just that simple. Um, but do you feel like the NFL has some responsibility to step in and see what they can do about this? Like I said, it's different for everybody. It's a different uh, dynamic than the one-and-done situation in basketball. But I feel like this is a dynamic that not very many people are, are really talking about. You're so close to getting a degree. I, I hope some of those guys go back and get one. But what what would you – if you could see a change, or, or what's your thought on that? Is this something you feel like that, that the powers that be need to address? I mean, they talked about it in the NBA, and I know, like you said, it's different. But, I mean, I don't, I don't see what's the harm in allowing a guy to go back. If, if he doesn't get drafted, if he's an underclassman and has eligibility left. I mean, certainly there are things you have to work through because once you sign with an agent and once you, you know, start accepting stuff, I mean, we start talking about NCAA rules and that's mm-hmm. a whole other conversation to get into because I think some of that is just silly. But, you know, what they're, they're, I don't think it would hurt to have the, a similar setup in that there's one deadline to declare but then there's a deadline where you can pull it back if you want. If you don't, if you want to go without an agent and you want to go to the combine and you want to do some workouts and then you want to decide after that. Uh, I mean, it, it seems to work at the NBA level. I mean, there's there's a lot more players here, so I mean, it it would maybe be a little bit more unwieldy because of how many players you have, as opposed to the you know you're talking only sixty some odd guys or sixty guys get drafted in the NBA. But I don't see what's the what's the harm in in given some kind of guidelines that are similar to that. It's clearly worked because you see a lot of guys declare in the NBA for the NBA draft and end up pulling back, you yeah. know, or, or, and I think there's something to be said that it, they, they have done a good job with the advisory board. Like mm-hmm. they've got that and they give you the first round, second round, or go back to school. Like that, that's a good start. It is nice. But if you want to take it another step, I think trying to implement something like the NBA does wouldn't hurt. I just think it's interesting that we, no one really talks about it, you know? And I, I, it is so different than the one-and-done because the one-and-done, you're barely in college. You're there for six months. Um, people mm-hmm. talk about it like it's a year, but it really is pretty much six months. You show up in August. Most of those guys, if you know you're a one-and-done, once you pass the first semester, there's very little impetus to go to class after January. But these guys, you know, if you've been in college for three years, you're really close to getting a degree. And and you know, you may have that opportunity to go back and and get a degree. You know, while you're chasing, you know, uh, whatever you want in the NFL. Like the, those UDFA contracts are like, you know, forty thousand dollars some of the times, and, and you may not even get all of that. So I, you know, I I'm just intrigued. I'm I don't I find it odd that that no one seems to acknowledge that this is kind of a problem that you could have. You know, a th- over a third of the guys that are leaving early go undrafted, and they're going to be sitting there. You know, likely a lot of them with nothing to do in a couple of years. It, it's an interesting dynamic. Uh, on the other end of the draft, I'll give you my big winner of the draft or first. I want to hear if there's anybody that stuck out to you as this is a perfect situation. For me, it's James Washington, a Texas native. He goes into Pittsburgh, a great organization, a good quarterback. He's got obviously the tutelage with the best in the game, Antonio Brown there. Juju Smith-Schuster there. He can probably come in. They traded Martavis Bryant over the weekend, so he can probably come in. I think he can probably win that third spot, be able to to contribute there. You know, I mentioned the Senior Bowl. He was arguably the best player in Mobile that whole weekend. Uh, it was mm-hmm. He was up there. Um, just dominant. You couldn't ask for a better situation, too, for a guy who he kind of strangely dropped almost a full round over the last month or so. I'm always intrigued of, of what happens when – Nobody's playing games and nobody's really working out, and yet your draft stock can make big moves. But, uh, you know, I, I kind of wonder in some ways if, you know, he and, and Marcel Aitman and those guys are, are paying for the sins of, of Justin Blackman a little bit. He also gets to go with Mason Rudolph. So James Washington is my big winner. Did anybody stick out to you this weekend as, as a guy who, you know, a, a Texan who lands in a spot that you think has really set him up to be a huge success? I mean, I, I like as a player, and and I think where he went from an organization standpoint, Cortland Sutton, SMU. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I I've liked him as a ball player since I first saw him when you know several years ago when I went up there uh, during Chaz Morris's first season. I mean, he's got the ability. 
and you're going to a place in Denver where they just signed a quarterback in Case Keenum who had tremendous success last year in Minnesota. And if there's one thing that Case knows how to do, it's deliver the ball to a playmaking receiver. I mean, he did a great job of it in Minnesota with, uh, you know, with their two stud receivers. Uh, you know, he, he done it in limited time, you know, elsewhere. I remember in Houston, you know, when he was an undrafted guy and, and ended up in that lineup, he, he was uh, Andre Johnson, uh, one of Andre Johnson's favorites because he actually chucked the ball deep to him. Yeah. So, uh, you know, you know, Cortland is a guy that I think just is a guy that can play pretty quickly. And and I think with Case there pulling the trigger, it seems to me like a really good situation for him. And it's a great or- great organization. Yeah, I think there's a, I think there's a lot of people that don't realize like, you know, people think that oh, well, you're you're a GM in the NFL or you're a front office type in the NFL. There's a huge gap between competent organizations and incompetent organizations, and there's a lot more of the latter than I think people realize. And if you can land in a place where everybody's rowing in the same direction and you've got people that are competent, and I think obviously Denver is one of those, you've already, you're, you're already ahead of the game, and that's uh, a huge asset. I like Cortland there. Uh, uh, one note, his teammate, Trey Quinn, partner in crime last year, Mr. Irrelevant, the last pick of the draft, he, he cheekily – tweeted uh, hashtag relevant after he was drafted <laughs> well played well played to trey quinn uh so on the guys that will be on the uh, on the field this fall houston you know that program very well i uh, used to cover them i'm of the belief that yes uh kendall bryles is a magic potion i think overnight they've got the athletes they can be really good and the other aspect of hiring Kendall Browse, if you go back and listen to our, our interview with Major Applewhite, we, we covered and discussed that in depth. But on the field, uh, I expect Houston, I think they're going to kill it this year. I think they might have a top five offense overall. I think they can turn Derek King into something special. I think they can contend for the American. Am I being too presumptuous, Sam? Have I drank the Kool-Aid? But how, <laughs> how, does, how does UH stack up for you? What, what are you expecting from them in year one with Kendall Browse there? Yeah. You know, I do. I'm with you. I, I, I think Kendall Kendall's track record as a coordinator speaks for itself. I mean, the guy's an excellent play caller. Uh, he knows that offense that they ran at Baylor inside and out. You know, I I think he's going to come in and they're going to score a lot of points really quickly. And and they were already a good defensive team. And, and let's not forget they have the best defensive player in college football. The best at, player in, in college Oliver. football. The best player in college football, Sam. <laughs> I, I won't. Argue, I won't argue with that either. I, I, I think pound for pound, that guy. Give me that guy. Hey, you were talking about draft next year. That guy might be number one. You're very. But, it seems very likely. But but I I'm with you. I mean, the, the quarterback thing will be interesting because they have Derek King, who I thought looked really good in the the few starts that he had toward the end of the season. But they brought in a grad transfer from Tennessee and Quentin Dormady, who's a little bit of bigger guy. Uh, so that that'll be interesting to see. You know, I and I I would imagine that you didn't grad transfer to to be a backup so 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 quentin's probably coming in trying to play so they'll compete for that job but i think they still have enough skill talent uh to really light it up you i went to their spring game and i saw you could see the elements of that offense they haven't you know grasped it completely they haven't figured it all out yet but they're going to do basically what baylor did they're going to run the ball quite a bit and they're going to chuck the ball downfield a lot they're going to use the wide splits they're going to move super fast you know, they're going to move at a breakneck tempo. So uh, I think that is going to fit what they have from a personnel standpoint really well. And, and I'm with you. I do think they're going to they're going to make a lot of noise with just just based on how good they'll be offensively. Yeah, I think when I when I was talking to Major about it, the one thing that he you could sense he was a little bit apprehensive about it is they don't know if they've got the guys on the offensive line. Yeah. And I think that's that's sort of the um, the the elephant in the room there. But I will say. You don't have to be great there. You can be good in the American. There's not that many Ed Olivers in the American, and Houston's got one of them. So, you know, I, I think you to to get a bunch of Maulers up front. You know, you don't need you know 330 pound guards and and future NFL first rounders. I think you can be effective in the American with some guys that have just been well trained and and figure out the technique. I don't think you need NFL draft picks there. Certainly, it helps. And I think too, they're going to be going up against Ed Oliver in practice every day. That's going to make them better. Well, and two, two with the, with I mean, when, when you run as fast as they do, you you don't have to. The, the offense is predicated on a lot of quick throws, so it's not you know, Derek King's not going to be sitting back there holding the ball. Sure. So so they don't have to block forever. And secondly, if it is King, you know, starting the full season, then he's mobile enough to get himself out of trouble. I mean, that's one of his gifts. So mm-hmm. I mean, I think he 
I think uh, I think it's yeah yes they would like to be better there up front certainly, but but it's not yeah I don't I don't think they have to have a bunch of all conference guys up there. Um, you also have been around A and M quite a bit. How what uh, what mm-hmm. how much have you been able to be around Jimbo and and spend time around College Station since the arrival of the uh, Avalanche Force? I don't even know what you'd call the Jimbo arrival. At <laughs> it feels a little bit different around there. It is. It's totally different. The first practice I went, there was no music on, and I was like, and there was a lot of uh, swearing going on at practice. <laughs> I can, that was I can confirm that. I can confirm it was that. funny. You know, I, I took a couple of videos, and I was like, I just stopped after about three or four videos. I was like, there's no <laughs> point because I can't publish any of this because it, there's it's, it's too much language. So, uh, no, I, it's totally different vibe. You know, guys are putting their hands in the dirt. They're using tight ends. They're taking snaps under center. I mean, it, it, this is going to be a Jimbo offense. It's going to be, you know, a pro-style look. They are, they are going to integrate some tempo still. It, it won't be all the time. But, you know, I noticed in the spring game that they would push it after they would get a first down, which is something that a lot of teams like to change tempos will will hurry up after they get a first down, try and get some things going. But uh, the, the vibe is definitely different. The excitement level around there is crazy. I mean, the fans love Jimbo. I mean, it's, it, you know, the, the hype and the buildup, going into the season is going to be uh, maybe not quite to the 2013 level, the second year of Johnny Manziel, yeah. but it won't be too far off because they uh, they are fired up about having a national championship coach. And, and, and rightfully so. Rightfully mm-hmm. so. I mean, he's got a, he's got a great track record. They've got, I think they made a great hire in defense coordinator, Mike Elko. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know, the recruiting class so far is off to a really good start. And I think they're in the, they're in our top five. Uh, on ESPN.com, so you know, so far through the 2019 class. So uh, as long as that keeps going, they're fine. But I think I, it will definitely be a different season. I don't expect them to, you know, have just unprecedented success right out of the gate. I think it's it's going to be some adjustment, especially with how different the offense is going to be. Yeah, I would agree. I think, uh, I mean, ultimately you look at it this way. I mean, there's four active coaches with national championships, and A&M's got one of them now. Mm-hmm. That's a, that is a, a badge that I think they can wear proudly. Uh on AM in year one, I think they're going to be interesting. How many times do you think between now and December we're going to hear uh, Nick Saban lost to Louisiana Monroe in year one at Alabama? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's only if they lose one of those games. And, and I, don't, I mean, I look, at, I, I look at their schedule. I don't, I don't, I don't expect them to to lose a game that they absolutely shouldn't. You know, one of those gimme games, so to speak. Yeah. I, I don't expect them to lose one of those. They've still the got incredible athletes, I think. Yeah, know. I mean, they got, dude, they, they've recruited well. Mm-hmm. They haven't recruited a championship level, but they have recruited fairly well. Top the 20 level, they, three, I think. They, there's yeah, no question yeah. for them to be outside the top 20, but yeah. Yeah, and so and so I don't I don't think I don't think they're going to have a, an issue in that regard. That said, I, I think people have to temper their expectations, especially the fans, because I, I think it's going to take some time because – what they are, they paid Jimbo Fisher $75 million for one reason to win a national championship. And so to get to that level, you have to recruit at that level. And so we're talking, they've recruited at a top 20 level or top 15 level, but I'm talking you have to recruit at a top five level. And consistently so, for like four years in a row. Consistently, which is what he did at Florida State. Mm-hmm. And that's what Alabama does. And that's what Clemson's been doing lately. So that's the level you have to to be at in order to succeed at that level. And that takes time. So I, I, this is not something they're going to turn around and, you know, win 10 games off the bat, in my opinion, this year. I, but I do think if he can recruit at that level two, three classes in a row, then in three, four years, we could be talking about a team that's contending for an SEC title or, or the college football playoff. I think so. We will see. I, I do think it ultimately does come down to recruiting. And I think, the interesting thing is what, you know, we saw it last year, Tom Herman, a disappointing year, but it didn't matter on the recruiting trail. What he was selling was working on the recruiting trail. They saw that bump, and they have a you know a top three class this year. I expect that Jimbo will be able to do the same in 2019. Where it gets interesting is in the, the next two, three, four years. I mean, you know, I, you know A&M, they're not going to be winning four or five consecutive national championships until at least year three, I would say. But I, I think, you know, with them <laughs> – I, I think it's it, it is going to be a, a little bit slow going. What do you think will be success for A and M in year one? They have a brutal schedule. Clemson coming to town. They got to go to Bama pretty early. What do you what do you expect to be? What what do you think will make A and M fans happy in year one? Oh, they'd be happy with them. They'd be. I think. Well, well, eight and four. I do think it? what's 
I think what's reasonable is eight and four. I think what'll make them happy is nine and three. Okay. I think if they go nine and three, I think they'll be really fired up. And that means that that, that means your only losses are probably Clemson, Alabama, and Auburn. So they have to go to Alabama. They have to go to Auburn. That's beating a lot of so pretty good teams. <laughs> that means you have to beat LSU, which yeah. they have not done since they've been to the SEC. Uh, that means they have to beat – well, they, they, they should be able to beat Ole Miss, in my opinion. Uh, Mississippi State, they, they have to travel to South Carolina. That will be an interesting one. That's probably a swing game for them, uh, a key one. Uh, so, so those are the ones that you're really looking at. Uh, Kentucky is going to be interesting, but that, you know they have a new quarterback. I know they have a decent amount of talent back, but they have that. A&M has that game at home, so I, I would expect that they would be favored in that game. Arkansas has got a new coach with Chad Moore, so I, I think eight and four is good. Is a good season for them, and I think is reasonable. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think if you're, I think if they go eight and four and you're an A&M fan, I think I think that's perfectly fine. But if they go nine and three, they find a way to go nine and three. Then I think if you're an A&M fan, you're really fired up. I can see that. I can see that. Well, Sam, I'm going to subject you to a brief food corner. Let me Before we get into this, let me just tell you, I won't have that much to say in this week's food corner, but I'm about to drop a tease on you. Okay. And that is that next week's food corner, I will be crossing off one of the greatest food things in my life. I, <laughs> I'm so excited. But, Sam, have you... Are you a fan of Spanish flowers in Houston? Yes. Okay. Yes. We I te- I I teased this on like our third episode, and I realized after I listened back to it that we never actually circled around to it. Uh, Sam, give me a forty-second infomercial for Spanish flowers because <laughs> it's incredible. But you are a yes. Houston native. I've only been there once. Let the people know what they're going to be uh, encountering when they get there. I mean, it's legit. It's not just your run-of-the-mill Texas. I mean, it's it's not just the food. It's the vibe. It's the location. It's right in the heart of town. It it, it has the kind of hole-in-the-wall feel to it, you know, that you're looking for when you're trying to get something authentic. So, no, it's great. I haven't been in a long time because I'm trying to eat better these days, you know, <laughs> trying to get healthy and all that stuff. So I don't eat a ton, as, as much Tex-Mex as I once did, but that was one of the first places that me and that my wife and I – uh, my wife really introduced me to it back when I was in, in high school when we were to get when we were dating. But uh, that was a place that was like, wow, I was like, this is this is fantastic. And uh, I we haven't been now that you say it, man, we're going to have to go back sometime. We haven't been in years, <laughs> but but it, it, it is. You got to the vibe, the area, the the look, the everything. It's just it's perfect. And, I, I and feel I, like that place has redefined what a tortilla can be. Yes, me. Absolutely. No, it, it's it's wonderful, and it, it's funny. I, I thought about that the other day because Matt Stepp was putting out a a list of his top like Tex-Mex places, and yes. he had Spanish flowers in there. <laughs> and I was like, okay, this list is legit because he's got Spanish flowers in there. So it's a great. Uh, but but no, it's it's awesome. And so so you're coming down here soon, huh? Well, I will. Uh, I got to make my way there at some point. It's 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 truly beautiful. It is amazing. <laughs> uh, and so with that, that brings us to this week's guest. Baylor coach Matt Rule. I uh, went down to Waco, talked with him. We covered a lot of ground. Their new tradition at Baylor, uh, sort of the lessons and uh, trials of year one of trying to reboot the Bears. Uh, it was great. I always enjoy getting some time with, with Matt Rule. He's one of the more uh, forthcoming and insightful coaches in the state. So have a listen. I think you guys will like it. So our guest this week Baylor coach uh, Matt Rule, obviously a, a difficult first year, but I think you guys learned a lot. I, I like to say you guys are the greatest one and eleven team in college football history. <laughs> <laughs> I've said it often, but I, I think if you guys were competitive so often, you almost knocked off Oklahoma. But when you look back at, I think what's fair to call year zero at Baylor, how do you view that? I just what you said. I think year zero. I think uh, uh, you know establishing a foundation of what we believe in and. You know, not necessarily necessarily always the result, but the way that we did things. I was really proud of our players. I mean, you know, with with tough loss after tough loss and in a couple of embarrassing moments even, I thought they hung together. I thought they showed resiliency. And we got to the point where, you know, we were a tough team to play. We just weren't ever able to close the games out that we needed to. And so, you know, it's not like sometimes you go into year one and then year two you, you take a step down. I think our kids all feel like, you know, we don't ever have to go back there again. You know, we were there. We, we saw that we could count on each other. 
we saw what it takes to win, and now we can go out and, and find a way to win ball games. When you look back at last year, would you do anything differently in, in leading up to the year and, and sort of trying to prepare for that? Um, you know, I think I think every time I look back in every season, I think lots, I see lots of things I, th- I would probably do differently. Um, I will say I think it was I think it was a benefit to us to have the year go that way. I think um, we got much closer as a program. You know, we're coming off you know a bunch of us coming from somewhere else, a bunch of kids that had been through a lot, and I think that galvanized the program. Um, but you know, I, I would say maybe um, early on, you know, I probably hung around. I probably hung on some players a little too long, hoping that they could come through and, and um, you know, had to make some moves later in the year and, and play some of the younger kids or some of the juniors and sophomores. And so um, maybe I would have been a little bit more um, play those guys up front. But, you know, uh, you learn you, – you, one of the things about those kind of years, you, you learn a lot of lessons. The players learn a lot of lessons, and those carry you forward into the future. And so I, I like where we are right now as a result. Is there something to the idea that you learn more about the character of your guys in a year like that versus if you're going 10-2? Uh, how, how much of that do you think really affected you guys? Sort of, you have a firmer grasp of, of the kind of guys you have on the roster. Well, I, I do believe that, you know, and I, I probably believe that because of my time at Temple. You know, winning two games the first year, and you know, those kids when they were three years later, they won ten games. And and um, I just think, you know, this is a game. Football is a game where, you know, people think, you know, you, you think we won because of this, or we won because of that, or we won because of what uniform we wore. You know, all these other things that are cool, but they're out. And when you start losing, you really have to boil down to why did we lose this game? And we lost it because, you know, we, 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 we didn't do our job in this situation or a coach made a bad decision or a player. And so what happens is you start self-reflecting and the coaches start saying, what can we do better? The players start saying, what can we do better? And it always goes back to these fundamental things. And so what losing allowed us to do last year was really focus on the things that we could control. We couldn't control the scoreboard or how good other teams were, but... We could control our effort, our preparation, the way we attacked the game. And by the end of the year, it was a fun team to coach. They were going out each and every week and practicing hard, preparing hard, playing hard, playing the right way. And um, um, I knew that, hey, we could just get to the off season, get stronger, get bigger, get better, get an influx of new talent in here. Hopefully we could go out next year, this season, and be a much better team. You know, the, the arc uh, of, of sort of where you started at Temple and where you started here is so similar. What, what were some of the things that you learned in, in sort of building Temple that you feel like are going to be uh, applicable here? Well, I, 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 have, I wrote a note to myself like in the middle of like year three, and I still keep it, you know, and it has several things on it. But I think one of the biggest things is, is to, just to make sure that you have everything right. Make sure that you have all the – as you build a program – Make sure that your your process and your people are correct. Make sure you have the right people. Make sure that you have what you need and make sure you're doing things the right way. And if you do that and you have some toughness, if you can weather the storm, you know, then eventually you'll be built to last. You know, you won't be, you know, a house built on sand. You'll be a house built on rock. And so that's really what we tried to do this past season was make sure that we had the right people, the right process, the right schedules, all those things, and make sure that, you know, we were a house built on a strong foundation. And, and um I think we did that. You know, I think that's why we got better as the year went on. I think that's why we were able to hang in some games and have a chance to win. And um, I think that, you know, that will benefit us as, as we move forward because the team at Temple got better and better and better because the process never changed. That You know, we just got better at it and the players got better at it. So we'll, we'll hope to do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Obviously, the campus has been through a lot in the last few seasons. Did you ever feel a need to address any of the scandal with guys or talk to them as a team of like, you know, I know you guys have been through this or, or you know, or is it sort of a – you know, we're different guys. How, how did you sort of address that? Did you ever feel the need to, to talk about it at I, all? I um maybe not in tremendous detail, but I mean, I think I always, with all the players, I try to talk to them but, you know, as positions, as units, as a group, as a team, as individual players, based upon, you know, whatever issues are facing us, you know, that day, right? So, yeah, I've talked about the past. I've talked about change. I've talked about, you know, all the lessons you can learn from going through adversity. I mean, I've talked about all those things. And, you know, the one thing I said to them over and over and over again was, you know, after going through all they had been through before I got here and then going through that season, they can leave here knowing that they're tough. You know, That's true. they can leave here knowing that, you know, what, that I can handle adversity. I can handle um, things. I can, I can fight through and persevere when people are counting me out. And so as we come back this year, I think we have a team that knows, you know what, we can uh, we can handle when times are hard, and we can handle when we have a lot of success. You know, we're always going to stay even keel and um, you know committed to the process. What their offense did on the offensive line was was very different. Their their strategy. 
How would you describe the difficulty of sort of reteaching different concepts, defense, offensive line? Obviously, you guys struggled there last year, but how much of that is the transition of scheme, and how much of that is just obviously the numbers issues that you guys had with lack of depth? I would say it was mainly the numbers issues. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you know, like when we lined up, um, I think we lined up the first game, and there were three, there were th- four scholarship offensive linemen who had been there the year before, so some of the guys were tight ends. So there was not much reteaching. And, um, you know, what they did before was sound and it was good. And, and hopefully what we do is good. You know, I think the guys that were here, Pat Lawrence, Blake Blackmar, those guys, you know, they're such intelligent guys that you could give them 50 different ways to do things. And the, the whole thing I've tried to, to tell our guys as they learn, go from, you know, one system on defense to another or one system on offense to another is, you know, someday you're going to be playing, in, you know, in Atlanta and all of a sudden you're going to get traded to the Houston Texans and, you know, you better not go. You better not go in there and say, "Well, I thought we did it this way." You know, you, you better. Two years to learn. This. Yeah, that's yeah. right. You better go in there and learn it. And so, I've been really impressed with our players' ability to to adapt to the you know new style of you know teaching and new you know of, of X's and O's and systems. And so, uh, if you can do that in college, it'll benefit you in the pros. Mm-hmm. What did you see? Uh, you know, from Charlie, you know, uh, that sort of made you say, "Yep, he's ready." That maybe he wasn't necessarily showing early in the season. Like, where did he develop that allowed him to sort of take? such firm grasp of this job late in the year? Well, you know, um, I think all along we kind of said, you know, boy, he's got some moxie. You know, he kind of has a way about him. He's a fighter. You know, he just does quarterback things. And so, you know, we thought as a young kid, you know, the best thing for him would be to redshirt. But when we lost Anu, you know, we knew we were going to need to play Charlie. And, and, um, you know, so we put him in a couple times. And I just think when he got in there, the moment was never too big for him. You know, like I said, he just does quarterback. Lots of guys can throw it, and lots of guys look great, but Charlie just kind of puts it all together, and and and, and it's, it's hard to stop as a result. And so, um, we you know we just said, hey, let's put him in a limited role, and got in there in the West Virginia game when the game started getting away from us, and just went out there and really moved the team up and down the field. And he did it, you know, with his arm. He did it with his feet. He did it with his head. And uh, that, to me, that's the, that's the magic potion. When you have a guy who can do it with those three things, with his intelligence, with his arm, and with his feet, then you got something. And so, you know, we, we played him the rest of the year. And, and I think, you looking back, had he played earlier, how much better he would have been at the end of the year. So uh, he's working hard now to become a complete quarterback. Where, why do you think he was able to do that as a guy that's so young? What, what about him do you think allowed him to have such success so early on? If I knew that, I'd be, a, I'd, I'd be a heck of a recruiter. I'd find it. I think, you know, I just think he played in a lot of games, you know, in high school, and he played in a lot of big games. And, you know, quarterbacking runs through his blood. You know, his grandfather did it. His father did it. His brother did it. And, um, you know, one thing I'll say about Charlie, he's not a guy that makes excuses. It's really hard to play quarterback and make excuses. It's really hard to play quarterback and blame other people, you know. And so Charlie's not one of those guys. I mean, he's one of those guys who it's always his fault. He always wants to do better. And, I would just I would just credit that to his mom and his dad and his, and his coaches because he uh, he uh, he definitely um, he definitely attacks things the right way, which allows his talent to really shine. Mm-hmm. What do you think uh, we're, we should expect to see out of him in, in year two? You know, I, I I I hate to put expectations on him. I just try to get him to just keep trying to get better every day. Like I said, I think naturally he just does football things. I think hurt his shoulder in the TCU game and taking some time off from throwing and rehabbing. Um, I think his, as his arm strength improves, he'll become more and more and more of a weapon. And um, I'm really proud of the work he's put in in the weight room. If you see him, you know, he looks uh, way stronger than he did this time last year. And so as he, as he gets physically more and more developed, I think his arm strength will continue to improve because he has amazing accuracy, great knowledge. Uh, but, you know, it's the arm strength that will really allow him to get the ball up over top of people. When you, uh, If a casual fan is watching you guys next year, where do you feel like there is the, the place on your team that they're going to see, you know, that team looks completely different. Uh, they're doing this different. Is there a, a place that you feel like you guys are going to be just markedly different in year two? I don't think in terms of what we do. I hope how we do it. How you, know? you look, yeah. Yeah, and, and I think really we're one of those teams that could say that hopefully for about everything, you know. I mean, <laughs> yeah. you know, we have to protect the ball way better. You know, if, if we just turn, turn, you know, when you come from where we are right now, if you can just turn around one or two things, you can get significantly better. So if we could – Turn over, turn around the turnover battle. You know, not not turn the ball over and take the ball away. We become a much better team if if we could become more explosive in the special game, special mm-hmm. teams. You know, as you know, Drew Galitz tore his ACL in the opening kickoff of Kansas State, and you know, all of a sudden he, he was flipping the field for us in punting, and we have to you know have Connor do all three. So I think as special teams improve, as with the turnover battle improves, uh, you know, the ability to run the ball on offense if that can improve, you know, if any of those things improve, we become a better team, and if they all improve, then wow. You know, we can really turn ourselves over. And so 
that's that's the goal is just trying to fix our team, you know, one small issue at a time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but started asking coaches this, you know, people, everybody talks about culture, but it's like kind of this ethereal sort of like intangible thing. Uh, but you get some different answers when you kind of ask people to define what their culture is in their program. For you, what's the simplest way you define what you want the culture in your program to be? You know, you're right. I don't. I never really know what culture means necessarily. I've read some things that say it's like you know the shared habits and and, and the way people say and things that people say and do. Um, you know, I always talk about just really sort of our standard is that you know I, I expect that our guys want to be uh, elite in everything that they do. That everything counts. That we want to be great students. We want to be great men. We want to be great football players. Not just winning the game, but the way we prepare, the way we practice, and so. When you, when you live in a world that's, that says everything counts, you know, then, then you're focused on being the best you can be. And so that's something I wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly, wholeheartedly believe in because, you know, you're not comparing yourself to anybody else. You're just trying to be the best that you can be. And so um, I hope that's who we are. You know, we talk about our brand of football is we want to be tough, hardworking, and competitive. You know, we want to we want that's who we want to be. And so um, when everyone in the program believes that, I guess that that's the culture that you probably create. And so we're not there yet. We're getting there. We're getting better at it. But um, uh, when we get there, I think, it, you know, one thing I do believe in that that allows you to be built to last. Mm-hmm. I asked some of the players about this earlier. I wanted to ask about the single digit number. I don't know if you can call it a tradition here yet. I guess more of a custom where for the uninitiated, basically Baylor's players, if you want to be a single digit number. Uh, it's an honor, I guess, bestowed upon you. It, it, to put it in simple terms, where did that come from? Like, where did you come up with so that? So when I worked for Al Golden, I was the offensive coordinator at Temple. We started that tradition. It was, came in a staff meeting, and you know, I was really just tired of seeing some guy get number one because he was highly recruited that specific year, and some kid in our program that did everything right didn't get a chance to wear it. it just really bothered me. So we started that tradition, and um, we went on. We had really good success, and Al left to go to Miami, and Coach Adagio came in, and then he stopped it. And when I had a chance to come back and be the head coach, we, we, we rebirthed, I guess you could say, the tradition. And, and last year, Willie Taggart went to Oregon, and he called me, and they did the same thing. And now he's doing it at Florida State, and Temple continued to do it. And, and so to me, it's just, it's just a mentality of what you're saying is, you know, we want to be tough, hardworking, and competitive. And let's pick nine guys in our team who our players believe represent that day in and day out. They're not perfect, but they are tough. You know, they do what they're asked to do, and they do what they're required to do. No matter how hard it is, no matter what the conditions are, they always come through. You know, I mean, my mom's tough. You know, she she took care of me no matter how hard it was. And so... Do you give her a single digit? She, she's been a single digit in my heart forever. <laughs> my wife, Julie, too, let me say that. So, so just, just, trying to, just trying to make sure that we don't always praise production, but we also, predate, we also praise the way in which you do things. And um, so we're trying to make that, you know, part of our ethos, you know. And so I, uh, uh, you know, ho- hope that it can become a longstanding tradition here at Baylor, just like it's become at Temple, and hopefully it will at Florida State. Actually, it seems like it's a lot different than, than the helmet sticker, which I feel like it's kind of gone out of, out of I, don't, I feel like you don't see as many helmet stickers these days. It was, I think it was more of a 90s or yeah, 2000s yeah. thing. <laughs> That's right. But what, have you ever had a guy be like, nah, coach, I, I like number 88. Has that ever happened, or is it sort of, how does that work? I haven't really dealt with it. Um, I, think, I think as your program you know, as people buy more and more into the program and things start to make sense and that culture of, hey, this is what's important to us really takes root, guys recognize that it, it would, what an honor it would be. And number two, I think guys usually, if, if they thought a player was was not going to take their honor based from their teammates mm-hmm. and would rather just do what they like, <laughs> most guys probably wouldn't vote for that guy anyway. Yeah. So, um, you know, our players players usually do a good job of finding a way to, 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 to give that award to the people who really deserve it. What is that process like? Do you always hand out nine? Like, what, what, how does that work? Yeah, we, we vote on it in, in the preseason, and we do a couple different votes. You know, we let vote and add three. And so this year, you know, we have some guys coming back, and they have to re-earn it in the eyes of their teammates, you know. And so, you know, every once in a while, I'll give the coaches a vote just to see if we see things way differently than the players. But especially in year two, once, once everyone really understands what it means, um, I think that those numbers – really makes sense to everyone and, and um, again it's kind of a fun thing it's kind of a cool thing but at the end of the day it's also a way to make sure that you know everyone wants to wear number one everyone wants to wear number two in recruiting if you want it go earn it and I, you know I think that's a great way to live your life when you have to earn everything you get oh, yeah, it's a unique thing I, I was uh, I think I think we're going to see more and more people do I think you guys you got to get a copyright on that or something like that <laughs> I'm good I, as long as it works <laughs> for us I'm happy <laughs> any other honors come with that is it just the, the jersey no, that's really it you know mm-hmm. I think there's been years where we've recognized 
an offensive lineman who obviously can't have a single digit, but you know who would who would necess- who would get um, if they were. You know, we had, we had a couple of kids at Temple that were definitely single digits, but they were offensive linemen, so we'd always try to make sure they knew that they had gotten the votes and and um, you know so. It's a it's a it's a cool thing, but it's um, just one of many things like that. We hopefully try to do to to make sure that the things we believe in are, are rewarded when we can. Yeah, I wanted to ask about one guy who went on your team, Ira Lewis. I feel like he's a guy who's been so productive, especially for you guys last year. And and I think when people talk about the best defensive lineman in the Big Twelve, his name doesn't come up that often. I don't know why that is, but what what did he do to earn that? What what what, is, what does he bring to this well, team? Ira's a worker. You know, he he can coach him hard. He's teachable. But the main the main thing is he works. I mean, he works on it. You know, if you, even just seeing him now physically to what he was even during. The season. I mean, he's poised to have a great year, and uh, you know he is tough. He is hardworking. He is competitive, and um, uh, you know he, he got I think it was five and a half, six sacks, five five and a half, something like that. Five five and a half sacks. That's really hard to do inside, and uh, he does it you know because he has tremendous length and explosiveness. Um, but really, he's an effort guy too. And when you take a, a talented player and he's also a high effort guy, he's also running the ball. He's also consistently fighting through contact. Then that that really allows him to be successful. So. It's not necessarily even all the success Ira has, but the way he does it that really, you know, really helps our team, um, you know, helps us, you know, train the young guys. Yeah, why is he so productive at tackle? You don't see guys putting up that kind of number inside very often. What I just think it, I think it's his height and his arm length um, combined with his athleticism, and again, just his effort. I mean, he's, you know, he's, he's going to consistently work towards the quarterback in, and, um, you know, so, I mean, I think it, it takes toughness to play the run game as a D lineman. He's tough. That takes talent to play the pass game. He certainly has talent. So you combine those two, and I think his best football is ahead of him. You know, what he's done to his body so far this offseason has been really, really impressive. Mm-hmm. You know, I think you watched your guys' team last year. It was obvious you could see flash. You could see guys, a lot of potential. I mean, you, we talked a little bit about Denzel Mims earlier, obviously Charlie Brewer. Who are the other guys on this team, young guys, that, that you are really excited to see uh, this fall? Be a little bit more bigger role. Yeah, I think guys. the backs. You know, I mean, the backs kind of rotated a lot last year. You know, you know, like you had John Lovett, who I think had a you know big long run against one of the longest runs by a freshman in Baylor history against Kansas State. You had Ebner, who was up there in the country in terms of catching balls and taking them to the house. I mean, he was really a threat out of the backfield. And then Jermichael Hasty, who got hurt early on and at the end of the year came off and had a couple good games. And so. Getting those three guys healthy and getting those three guys ready to go, I think, will really, really help us. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, um, you know, I think out wide, Jalen Hurd transferring in from Tennessee and sitting out last year. You know, what he did at Tennessee was unbelievably impressive. So to have him back again, you know, and back here with us, I think, is uh, is really a really a win for us. And so, you know, getting Chris Platt back off of injury, you know, I mean, he was he was well on his way to having a Blitnikoff type year until he got hurt, and so. You combine Mims's ascent with Platt, getting Tony Nicholson back, and then adding in Jalen Hurd, Pooh Strickland. We've got a lot of production at wideout. Mm-hmm. When you see like potential in a guy, especially in a rough season, do you sit down with him and say, "Man, look, I see this in you. I want you to get there," or do you just sort of coach him and you just hope that you bring it out? Like, how do you approach that with a guy? Do you tell a guy, "This is what I think you can be"? Oh yeah, I, I think um, I think you know the greatest form of coaching is encouragement. So. I, I spend a lot of now sometimes encouragement's not nice, you know. <laughs> Doesn't sound nice. I mean sometimes it sounds but 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 you know, we try to give honest feedback to our players all the time while at the same time making sure they always know what the standard for the team is and what their standard is. And so we um work hard at that. And um you know, coaching to me is way more about relationships than it is coaching, you know, and so telling guys what they can do to get better while also letting them know, hey, this is where you could end up. And so we want to have high expectations for our guys. We also we want to give them a plan to get there, and we want to consistently encourage them to stay on track and stay focused on today so that someday their today can be an elite place. Mm-hmm. There's so much excitement about Jalen's arrival here. What, what do you feel like he offers you guys immediately? Well, I mean, he's a physical you know, a presence. You know, he'll, he'll be physical on the perimeter. He gives us a guy who can catch and run because you know, of his tailback days. He gives us a guy that can hopefully also run the football you know, if we need him to in short yards and goal line situations. And I think he will be a big play threat. He's got great speed, great body control. And so he should be, in my opinion, um, a, a real threat for us down the field and also in the intermediate and underneath the zone. So um, he's, uh, he's someone that we're really excited about. And uh, spent a year on the scout team. He worked really hard. He's a competitive kid. So hopefully that will lead to him um, having a great year. Mm-hmm. Well, Matt, thanks for joining the show. Uh, any parting thoughts you want to leave us with or anything I didn't ask about? No, I thought you did a great job, unbelievably <laughs> thorough. So no, I, uh, not just you know, like I said, I think I think I'm excited about this year, you know, because 
um, when you ha- like as you asked before, when you have a year like we had last year, uh, you, you walk off the field in that last game and you say to yourself, okay, you know, we don't have to be this bad again. And so our kids have worked hard. So it'll be interesting to see us, you know, our guys go out and play and see what they can do. Appreciate it. Matt Rule, thanks for the time. Thanks, brother. So that's it for this week's show. Uh, I will give you the last word, Sam. Anything that we should know about or that we are not paying enough attention to in this offseason going into 2018? Hmm. Good question. The thing, what is the most, what is the biggest burning question that you have going into this season? Is Texas Tech's defense really going to be finally there? Are they finally going to make it all the way? They've got all these starters back. David Gibbs in his fourth year. I believe in David Gibbs, honestly. I think the guy can coach. I want to believe. Is it finally going to happen? I want to believe. I, listen, this is the same thing that we talked about at the top of the show with Cleveland. I, you look at them on paper, and you look at the dudes they have. They should be good. But I just don't know if I can wrap my head around the concept of Texas Tech being great at defense. And I also think, you know, uh, there's a lot of coaches in this state who would whisper this to you but would tell you that can you run 100 plays on offense and still be good on defense? There's mm-hmm. a, lot, a lot more coaches think the answer to that question is no then are willing to admit it because they got to recruit offensive guys to their system. And I, I also wonder I also wonder how difficult it is if you're a team that primarily recruits the state of Texas to have a really really good defense. Yes, it's true too. I I'm not willing to ride for Texas Tech's defense and say, "Oh, they're going to be great. Get ready, guys. They should be better." How good will they be? Well, that's why they play the games, I guess. Speaking of play the game, Texas, Texas A&M, play the game. Yes, please. People want to please, see. so we can stop talking about it during recruiting. <laughs> That's the only thing anyone wants to talk about in recruiting. Yes. And it's the it's the greatest cold war in football. But uh, I want to see it actually be played. That will do. It for I will. Week. I will. I will die on that hill. I I, I'm you. with you. There's going to be a lot of us. I was there at the last game. I want to see the next one. It's uh, fantastic. Well, thank you, Sam, for joining the show. Thank you to our producer, Max Thompson, our sub-producer, managing editor, Greg Tepper, subbing in today, figuring out the technology for us. Thanks to Baylor coach Matt Rule for coming on the show. And thanks to you, our listeners, for tuning in. And, of course, thank you to the North Texas Honda dealers. They are It's their job to be helpful. They drive the show. They sponsor the show. We are very thankful to have them on board. So thank you for listening. We'll see you guys again next week.